0: My name is Alex Rosa. I'm one of our pastors here at New Life and I just wanted to start today by welcoming you to service with us. This is your first time here. We want you to know that we've been praying and planning for your arrival today, and we're just so thankful that you decided to invest some of your time with us. No matter how many times you've been with us, we're so thankful that you are here. Right now, we are in part three of a four-part series called Learn, Love, Live, and Lead Like Jesus. And since we've talked about learning and loving like Jesus today, we're gonna focus on living like Him. And I'll admit, living like Jesus feels a little daunting. I mean, we look at Jesus' life and everything that he encountered in a short period of time, 2000 years ago, all of that has incredible repercussions even still today. I mean, you even look at things like science, where many of the very first scientists were Christians, and they just wanted to discover how God thought, and it was because of what Jesus did. A lot of our laws today are in place because of what Jesus said, and his words of wisdom are known throughout the ends of the earth. And in fact, Christianity is the only worldwide religion that's not just mainly on two continents. It's spread throughout the whole entire world world. And all of that is because Jesus came into this earth and he lived a perfect life. But at the end of that life, when he was killed, he died on a criminal's cross. He was wrongfully accused. He had no possessions in his name except his clothes, which were basically raffled off through the ruling of lots. He had all of his friends leave him, go away. And so he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And still, even though he didn't have any physical descendants at the time, he has changed everything about the world as we know it. And that's because he did not stay dead, but he came back from the dead and rising from the dead, he proved that he truly is God. And so when we look at living like Jesus, we have a very high standard and it can feel daunting, but we can take heart because God is able to help us to live like Jesus. In fact, Jesus had such an assurance that we could live like him, he said while he was on this earth that we ought to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And so we could have assurance that we can live like Jesus, but we can't do it on our own. In our own strength, we cannot possibly do this. But with Jesus, all things are possible and we can live with Jesus because of God and the Holy Spirit here on this earth. I don't know if you've ever looked at a task ahead. Maybe it was a relationship you're going into or a new job or becoming a parent or, or anything like that you've looked at it and said, okay. I don't know if I'm quite ready for this. I don't know if I can do this on my own. It just feels too great of a task. And I've definitely felt that way before as well. I mean, even right now, next week on January 28th, I'll become our lead pastor. And I'm so excited for that. It's been really cool watching everything that God has done over these last several years to put this into place for it next week. It's been incredible. But there are still moments where I feel a little nervous. In truth, I felt the same way before I got married and before we had kids. I knew that there was a a big task ahead and I want to do the, the best job I possibly can for the kingdom of God, whether it's as a husband or father or a pastor. And I know that I can't do it alone. I know that full well because God's word is very clear about that, that he wants to help us out. About a dozen years ago, I went to a Christian counselor, and I was struggling with some of these ideas, looking ahead at what life had for me and having some self deprecating thoughts that I was just fighting with. So I went to a Christian counselor and I started to talk to him about all this stuff. And he shared a verse with me that I want to share with all of us today because it stuck with me still. And again, if there's anything in your life, whether it's living like Jesus or anything else, that seems like it's too much, let's remember this verse. It comes from Philippians 1 6, and it says, I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he, meaning God, who has begun a good work in you, will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the day of his return. And it's so comforting because it reminds us of three things. The first thing is that he is working in our lives. When we give our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior, he starts this refining process in us. He starts to chisel away all the stuff that is not of God so that we, when we look in the mirror, don't only see ourselves, but we see Jesus with us. So he's still working. The next thing we can know and have confidence is that we're not alone. We don't do this life by ourselves. that God, the God of the universe, wants to guide and direct and walk through this life with us. And the third thing is that he's just not done yet. And there's some encouragement from that, that we are not where we are going to be. And thankfully, we're not where we were before. And when we give our lives over to Jesus, that process continues. And eventually, God's goal is that we will live like Jesus. And when we do that, it will impact every area of our lives will be better suited to be the husbands or wives that we're called to be, the better parents or grandparents or workers or students or whatever it is that we are. God is gonna prepare us and use us in the way not only that he's created us to live, but in the way that will bring fruit in his kingdom so that we can be a force for the kingdom of heaven on this earth as Jesus was and as he wants us to be. And so in order to live like Jesus, we must not only give our lives over to him, but we must also look at how Jesus lived, to have an idea of what it's like to really live like Jesus. And even before we're going to look at Jesus' life, let's look at what we call Jesus, because that's important too. The name Jesus literally translates to mean the Lord is salvation, because Jesus brought salvation for the world, this opportunity for us to come to him. It's also important to know the title that we give Jesus. Oftentimes we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ. We kind of smush them together like that's a first and last name. But let's remember that Christ is not a name, it's a title. After the, uh, the service last night, someone came up and said, well, what is Jesus' last name then? And I said, well, we didn't really have one. We didn't do that until like the Middle Ages. Um, it was Jesus, son of Joseph, or it was Jesus of Nazareth. But Christ is a title. And if we are thinking about what does that title mean, it simply translates to mean the anointed. So Christ means the anointed and that's who Jesus is is now anointing isn't a word that we use often nowadays but in the new testament it talks about how we are still to anoint people and in the old testament it talked about the process and even the the method of anointing and anointing was simply a request it was a symbolic request for God to send his spirit on a person or a place or a thing in such a way to create a bridge between God's spiritual realm and our physical realm So, for instance, when someone became a priest, they were anointed because they were supposed to represent God to the people and the people to God. When a king was coming into power, he was also anointed for the same exact reason because he was supposed to be an ambassador for God to the people and represent people to God. Even priests, whenever they would be coming, whenever they become a priest, their clothes would be anointed. And sometimes a place would be anointed because God did something miraculous or glorious. He showed up in some incredible way that people wanted to remember it and know that God had moved in this place. So they anointed it. And when you anoint something, generally what they would do is pour oil over something. That was the process. And it wasn't any random oil. There's actually a recipe in the Old Testament, if you ever want to look it up. It's in Exodus chapter 30 for what this anointing oil was like. And it was a base of olive oil. Then it had a bunch of stuff in it that hearkened back to the Garden of Eden. There's a bunch of... Plants and life giving substances that reminded the people of the time where God and man dwelt perfectly together, and God breathed his spirit into humans to make them like God. And so the oil is to, supposed to represent God's spirit once again being poured out on people. And why this is important for Jesus is because it was foretold that someday someone was gonna come and have the Spirit of God pour and on them in such a way that they would be the anointed. And it was referenced as Jesus was gonna come. They didn't know the name Jesus yet, but they did call him the Messiah. And we've heard the name Messiah before potentially around Christmas time. We sing about Jesus as Messiah and Messiah really is just the Hebrew word for the anointed. So Messiah, Christ, the anointed, all the same thing. And we see Jesus become anointed when he was baptized. Jesus' disciple, Matthew, talks about this process in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, "'After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, "'the heavens were opened, "'and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove "'and settling on him. "'And a voice from heaven said, "'This is my dearly loved Son.'" who brings me great joy. Normally, we talked about how oil would be poured on people to anoint them. It was a representation of the spirit of God. But in this case with Jesus, God didn't need oil, didn't wanna use oil. Instead, he wanted to send his Holy Spirit directly upon Jesus to anoint him, to fill him and make him that bridge between heaven and earth. And that's what Jesus did. He represents us to God and went through the earth and represented God to the people. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples later on, was talking to a group of people who were not Jews, but he was helping them to understand that God came for them. That Jesus, fully God and fully man, came for everyone, for the world. And after Peter talked, the Holy Spirit did descend upon them as well. And this is how Peter describes the baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And after Jesus anointing, his ministry kicked off. In fact, we don't see an occurrence of Jesus doing a miraculous work before his baptism. There's something important about the fact that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we think of his miracles in the way that he lived, we can think, well, okay, sure, Jesus could do that. He's God after all, but I can't do that. We gotta remember what Pastor Chris said in week one. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to to watch that on the app or the website. Pastor Chris talked about how Jesus was emptied of himself when he came to this earth. So an anointing process was necessary for him to live out this, this reality of being the anointed one, the bridge between heaven and earth. And so that happened And then after that, Jesus went around and he spoke with such authority that he amazed everyone and he cast out demons and he healed people and he walked in this close relationship with God and he was always aligned with the will of God. He lived in a way that most people never get a chance to live and that's with God every single moment of the day. And Mark, one of the the writers of the four gospels, he wrote the gospel of Mark, detailed a little glimpse of what a life Like Jesus is. He talked about Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. We're going to see what it's like um, to live like Jesus. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Now, for a long time, I wondered why that would be the case. Why wouldn't Jesus... Maybe cast out the demons and then say, all right, go and and tell everyone, or maybe allow them to speak because other people would know that he is truly the son of God. Well, the reason is because Jesus wanted to make sure that he could be on this earth for as long as possible, because he wanted to reach as many people on this earth as possible. So he told them not to speak. All right, let's jump back in. Verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So not only do we see Jesus do miraculous things like cast out demons and heal people, we also see him invest time with his heavenly father. Already the anointed one and God in human form, he still knew that it was necessary for him to be able to walk in this close relationship with God to start his mornings by investing with God. And if we want to walk and step with God on this earth, we must do the same thing just as Jesus did to invest time listening and speaking with God and reading his word. And because Jesus had this close relationship with God, he did something that I find very difficult. He knew exactly when to say yes and when to say no. You see, these people came to him and they had just experienced the day before Jesus and his miracles. And they came to Jesus and said, can you come back to us? And that wasn't a bad request. They liked Jesus. And Jesus could have said yes because, again, it wasn't necessarily evil. But it wasn't the plan that God had for him. Now, in our human minds, we say, well, sure, I'd go back there. I mean, Jesus went plenty of places where they didn't want Jesus. And so it might have seemed like a no-brainer. Go back to where people want you. But Jesus knew that the best plan that God had was for the world to know Who God is and who Jesus is and why he came. So, Jesus went to more people, and then it was recorded by Mark that he got to share the good news and more demons were cast out. So, we got to see the best thing happen. In our lives, we're going to be given so many opportunities, especially nowadays. There's so many things that we can invest our time into. Some things are good, some things are bad, some things are best. And the way that we can figure out the the best things is by investing that time with God. I know for me, that's important. I wanna protect my time with my wife and my kids, but I also wanna do what God wants me to do. And the only way we can know what that is is by asking God and being with him like Jesus was. So let's ask God to help us discern between what's good for us and what's best. And he'll help us, he'll guide us, He'll, he'll direct us on our way to go and we'll start to live like Jesus. And that's what he wants for us. And he demonstrated that with his disciples. He helped his disciples to live like him on this planet. While Jesus was here, he could have done every miracle he wanted to do. But a lot of times he equipped his disciples to go out and do the miracle so that they could learn to live like Jesus. One time Jesus sent his disciples and they went to a nearby village and they cast out demons and they healed people but all in the name of Jesus. And then they came back and another time they were on a hill and Jesus was talking to a group of 5,000 men and their families. And later on in the day, the people started getting hungry. And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, can you send them home so they can get something to eat? And Jesus responded by saying, why don't you feed them? Now, I believe that this was really a request by Jesus for them to do something supernatural to Feed them, to, to prepare food for them, or to, to do something to, to make sure that to meet their needs. But the disciples didn't. They said, Well, we can't do that. There's so many of them. We don't have the money to do it. Can you do something about it? And Jesus, because he's gracious, even when he asks us to do something and we deny him, he still showed love to the disciples. In this way, he multiplied the food, he blessed it, and then he gave it to the disciples and then asked them to participate in the miracle. So they got to go around and hand out the foods because Jesus wanted the disciples to live like him then and then when he was in heaven. And this is what he told them. He told them before he ascended into heaven that the Holy Spirit was with them, but soon the Holy Spirit would be in them. The anointed one was telling the disciples that they would be anointed someday too so that they can live like Jesus And the same promises for you and me today. The Holy Spirit is available for us to fill us up, to anoint us in such a way that we can live this life like Jesus. Jesus, and this brings us to our take-home point. The one point that this message is, uh, is all about, the, the one thing that I would love for us to leave and apply to our lives today, and it's this. When we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, we can live like Jesus. When we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, we can live like Jesus. I know, again, we talked about at the beginning, it can feel daunting, but God has made a way, and we don't do it by ourselves. The Holy Spirit can empower us to live like Jesus, and his disciples did this. Once Jesus ascended to heaven, they waited, and the Holy Spirit descended and poured into them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then they went and lived the supernatural life. They walked in the plans of God, They knew where to go in in Jesus' name. They healed people and they cast out demons. And they spoke with such authority that people were turned away from their sin and turned towards Jesus. And through that, they were even tortured and they were able to withstand it because of the Holy Spirit being with them. They were transformed from normal people to people who could live like Jesus. And that same transformation God wants to have done in our lives as well. And Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth about this transformation. He said, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When it talks about the veil being removed, it was referencing a day when Moses got to experience God's supernatural nature. And when he got to experience that, he went back to the people and they were terrified because they could see the glory still upon Moses' face. And so he had to wear a veil to kind of protect them from that glory. Paul was telling us is that because Jesus has removed our sins when we come to him and he makes us new, we can now experience God's supernatural nature. And in fact, God wants to take us from glory to glory in such a way to transform us into the likeness of his son and he wants that for his kingdom. He wants it so people will see and know that he is God. And can you imagine, could you imagine if all of us were filled with the Holy Spirit, we were all anointed, we were living like Jesus in this world, what kind of impact that would have on our community. A few years ago, I was in Myanmar, and I got to see the result of what happens when even just a few are anointed by the Holy Spirit and desire to live like Jesus. I met a man named Chung Nung, and he and his family and his team run this orphanage, and it started very small. Chung Nung came to own this orphanage through marriage, and there were several kids there, but not too many, and during their time, God has been working Chung Nung has completely given his whole entire life to Jesus and through miracles and through visions and through prophecy and through God working in crazy ways to bring provision for them. Their orphanage has grown to 200 kids and a Christian school and a church on the same campus. And they've changed hundreds and hundreds of lives. Well, they haven't, Jesus has through them and the anointing that he's given them with the Holy Spirit. Even in 2021, when a military coup happened in their country and a lot of people lost their life and a lot of people couldn't afford food, God still provided for them in a supernatural way because the Holy Spirit was among them and still is today. They've changed the community because of the Holy Spirit. And that can happen here too, in Saxeburg, in Sarver, in Butler, in the surrounding areas. God wants to change this area and he wants to use us to do it. He wants us to live like Jesus in such a way that people will see Jesus here on this earth, that people in this dark world that lacks unity and lacks the love of Jesus will get to experience that again as they were designed to experience it. And God wants us to bring that out and the Holy Spirit will move through us and move in our community. A couple months ago, I got to experience this in a small way at our Rebloom Retreat. It's our New Life Students Retreat every fall, and I got the opportunity to speak there, and they asked me to speak about the Holy Spirit, which was exciting. And every session, we had four sessions, at all of them, we simply, at one point, raised our hands, we were standing together, and we asked the Holy Spirit to come to fill us up and to move in whatever way he wanted to. And it was tangible. You could feel the Holy Spirit moving. There was no denying it that God was at work and that he was doing things in the lives of students and leaders. One student that first night gave their life over to Jesus and the second night during a time of prayer, a student had the Holy Spirit just bring up these these struggles that he was going through regarding grief, and the Holy Spirit just kind of ripped that out of him, dealt with that and took it out. And I'm sure there was more, but those were just a couple that I heard about. But you couldn't deny that weekend that the Holy Spirit was at work. And he wants to do the same thing here and everywhere. And one of the ways that he does that is by producing fruit in our lives. You see, what God does is the Holy Spirit comes upon us and then he produces fruit. Christ-like, Jesus Christ-like character in our lives. And Paul detailed it this way to the churches in Galatia. He said, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That fruit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the kind of stuff that define Jesus on this earth. And that kind of stuff can define us as well. Something incredible happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. People see Jesus in us because they see those attributes and they know they're not worldly. If we're in our workplace and we have this patience that isn't a human patience. People will see that. Whenever trouble comes and we have this supernatural joy through us, it will point people to Jesus. And I actually believe that although miracles are great because people can see that, sometimes the memory of them can dim, but if you are every day living these out because the Holy Spirit is producing self-control in you or love or patience or peace or kindness or whatever it is, that will be an ongoing testimony for people that you interact with, that God is real and that he's working you in your life. And if especially there was something you struggled with before, maybe it is self-control, maybe you just got mad all the time. It was so easy to turn from okay to angry. And the Holy Spirit starts working, that'll be a testimony for him and his goodness. Or maybe it's patience. Maybe it's moments with your family. Maybe it's your little kids that just, yeah, just can get under your skin, but the supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit will just give you extra patience and your kids will see Jesus through you. The Holy Spirit wants to do that. He wants to work in our lives. He also wants to give us supernatural gifts. He still does this today, all over the world. Not just in countries like Myanmar, but he certainly does it there, but he does it here in America. He does it here in Saxonburg. At the last service, we had David Niece here, and we've shared about his story before, but he was supernaturally healed By God. And the Holy Spirit wants to continue pouring out supernatural gifts on our lives. And if you're listening to that right now and you're thinking, I don't know if I truly believe that, I want to tell you first of all, it's okay to have these questions. And second, I'd encourage you to bring that to God. Say, God, I'm having a hard time believing this. Can you help me believe in what you're saying? And He will show up. Ask God to move in your life to show you the supernatural gifts that He talks about. And he will, he'll respond. Anytime I have a doubt, that's what I've been just doing. Just God, okay, I don't understand this thing. You help me understand, and he does. And this is what Paul says regarding those supernatural gifts. He said, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the gift gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The Holy Spirit still does this today. But he doesn't give spiritual gifts for our glory, for our kingdom. He does it for his kingdom. Because his ultimate goal is that the world would come to know him, that they would understand that Jesus died for them and rose again for each of us as well. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Holy Spirit's here with us. That's why God made a way for us to come into relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit wants to move in our world. And I'm so thankful that we are a part of a church where the Holy Spirit does move. We get to see the Holy Spirit here in services through, through worship and through messages. New Life Kids gets to see the Holy Spirit work through their small group leaders and through their team members. New Life Students through the, the speakers, the small group leaders, the, the worship team, everyone there. And we could keep going our small group leaders, our care ministry, the preschool. We keep going. The Holy Spirit is moving and using people to showcase God and His love to those around us. But the cool thing with the Kingdom of God is that God does not want that to only happen here. He doesn't just want that to happen in a church building. He wants that to happen in every sphere of influence that we get to exist in. So in our families, God wants the Holy Spirit to work in our families. And in our workplaces, in our schools, and on our teams, God wants the Holy Spirit to move among those areas as well. And how does that happen? Well, we go with God. We we don't just go by ourselves, but we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up, to give us those supernatural gifts to produce fruit in our lives in such a way that people see God in us, in such a way that we can speak authority that Jesus had because the Holy Spirit is with us. And I know that that's another thing that we can look at and say that's kind of scary. Sure Jesus did that and the disciples did that but you understand what my friends would say or my family would say or my co-workers would say and one of the responses that the Word of God gives us is in those moments what we must do is ask the Holy Spirit for boldness. Boldness to speak His truth in love in such a way that people see Jesus in us. And that's what the disciples prayed for. There was one time where the disciples went and, and they healed someone in the name of Jesus. And then they told everyone about that. Hey, this is Jesus and his power. He rose from the dead and, and because of him, we were able to heal that person. Well, some didn't like that. Some took them and beat them and put them in jail. Eventually they were being released, but they were released with a warning Don't keep talking about Jesus. But they knew they couldn't stop, so they went away, and they got together, and they prayed. And as you will see in their prayer, they didn't just pray for safety. They prayed for boldness. This is what it says in Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They went and said, all right, God, this terrible thing happened. Give us boldness to keep sharing about you. And that must be our prayer today as well. If we wanna live like Jesus, let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to share about Him. And when we ask, He will deliver. I'm so thankful that I've gotten to know people over the years that have been given boldness by the Holy Spirit. One person was more than 20 years ago, his name was Ted Raff when he invited me to youth group for the first time. That changed my life. I'm really thankful that the Holy Spirit gave boldness to John Cadmore, whatever we were at the Bloom retreat because he prayed with that student to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit still produces fruit, still gives us boldness, still grants us supernatural gifts today. And if we want to live like Jesus, we must have the Holy Spirit with us. And God has made a way for us to be anointed as Jesus was anointed. So how do we live like Jesus? Well, we ask each day for the Holy Spirit to fill us up to guide us, to transform us from glory to glory, not just for ourselves, I mean, it'll be great for ourselves because we'll be able to look like Jesus and it'll help us in every area of our lives, but for those that we encounter, the communities that we live in, and ultimately so the world can know Jesus. And if we wanna do that, we could do that through today's next step, which says, I will ask the Holy Spirit for boldness, supernatural gifts, and fruit each day this week. Let's start our mornings by saying Holy Spirit, give me boldness, supernatural gifts and produce fruit in my life and he will. At the end of today's service before we head out, we're gonna have an opportunity to do that. But the first step to being able to be anointed by the Holy Spirit is for us to give our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've never done that, but you want to come into a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you and created you, he died and rose again for you, here at New Life we say that that process is actually as simple as A, B, and C. It starts by us admitting that we're sinners, and a sin is simply just something that God tells us to do that we don't do. It's missing the mark of God's plan. So we're sinners. Well, all of us are. And we also admit that we need Jesus as our Savior. And we believe in Jesus as our Lord, which means master and owner and God, as well as our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. And we confess our sins, but we also confess our need for Jesus as Lord and savior. And then we commit to living this life, not by ourselves, thanks be to God, but through the Holy Spirit. And he will fill us and he will guide us. So right now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. We're gonna have an opportunity for anyone that does not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior to come to know him. And if you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to invest this time to simply pray for those around you or in your life that don't yet know Jesus. And for those who want to trust in Jesus right now, I'm gonna pray as if I were you. I'm gonna say a prayer as if I'm trusting in Jesus for the first time and I encourage you to say it along with me, but make it your own, your own heart and mind because God of the universe is here and he wants to hear you and speak with you today. So let us pray. Dear God, right now, I pray that you'll hear the prayer of all those who wanna trust in you as Lord and Savior for the first time. As we say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe your son Jesus came, died, and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me into relationship with you today and make me new. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. And Holy Spirit, guide me today and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, for all of us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Now, today, tomorrow, the next day, help us to look more and more like your Son, so much so that the world will see you and turn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.